Hello, my peculiars. We have a very special show tonight. In fact, we're kind of featuring, uh, it's like a double feature because we're not just talking about a wonderful, marvelous book and a wonderful, marvelous history. We're also talking about a wonderful, marvelous museum. I know I'm excited. I know you're excited because you've already been typing questions and I know Davey is excited. I am very excited. Hi, peculiars. How's it going? And if you stick around to the very end, she has a very special surprise for you. Kristen has a very special surprise for you. So It's super cool. So without further ado, allow us to invite both of our guests here tonight right into the feed with a wonderful, you forgot the explosion again, Davey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm just so excited. <laughs> delayed ink explosion. It's like a, a squid who wasn't that frightened, just a little. So, um, you know, delayed reaction. But welcome to the show, Anna Doty. And oh, wait, I did it the wrong way. Anna's under me. <laughs> Kristen's <laughs> over here. Very excited to have you both on. And for our peculiars, Anna is actually the, cur uh, the curator at the Mütter Museum. And I've known Anna for a long time. I've been to the Mütter Museum to do research. I've seen babies in bottles and things. Uh, big, big colons. Um, but I also have Kristen, and Kristen is the one who wrote this fabulous book, and I know there are questions. As a matter of fact, as soon as I got on, I saw this. Oh, hey. So, first question, tell me more about the one. <laughs> Before the show even started, so Susan was like, excuse me, I want this needs to be addressed. Um, so I thought we would we would start with that question without further ado, and then we'll have a moment to talk a little bit about the cocktail that uh, we decided to do as well. So, tell us. There's, as as uh, Susan says, the poor lady was just there. There has to be a story. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're talking about Mary Alsop Mutter, the uh, wife of Thomas Dent Mutter, founder of the infamous Mutter Museum of uh, 19th century pathological specimens or medical oddities, as um, some people might say, uh, in the Mutter uh, in Philadelphia. The most fantastic museum ever, most popular museum. Uh, science museum in the country for uh, between uh, 18 and 35 year olds. And uh, Mooter married when he was very uh, young in his 20s to a woman named Mary Alsop. Mary Alsop came from a very religious, wealthy family in Connecticut. And there is an Alsop family archives in Yale that you can dig into and uh, find correspondence. And I was able to uh, read through that. Um, uh, to learn more about Mary. But unfortunately, the correspondence back then was like not unlike Facebook of the mid-aughts. It's a lot of chatty, catty comments about who people are marrying and, you know, um, oh, hey, girl, equivalents. Like not a lot of, of, you know, my husband's doing this surgery or anything like that. Uh, but she was devoted. Um, they never had children. Uh, it is never explained why, and in her correspondence, she never mentions it. Um, we do have some theories. Uh, it goes along with the mystery of Mütter's early death. Um, some people believe he has consumption. Uh, Anna was the one who proposed the theory that he had uh, syphilis. Uh, what kind of syphilis <laughs> did you think, Anna? Potentially congenital, but it's really hard to, to say. You know, it's, it's one of those very... Um, Mm -hmm. ephemeral things where it can go into dormant for decades, right. you know, but generally, generally, if you have congenital syphilis, you don't tend to live that long, but it, there's, there's mm -hmm. outliers, you know? So it's one of those things where a lot of people had it, a lot of people didn't, but he could have acquired it prior to marriage. 
Yes, during his years in France. Uh, and so I would say the three biggest questions I have gotten on the road that are specific are more about Mary Mooder. And that is sort of the story of Mary. You know, she was a very devoted wife. When he passed away, she was by his side, carried uh, him back to Connecticut, and he is buried on a family plot, which uh, uh, Anna has visited. And it's a mausoleum. It is a mausoleum. It's a, it's a mausoleum. Yeah. And I, I, drove, I did a pilgrimage there. And we parked the car, and I, I, I'm not saying I tried to break in, but I did test the door. <laughs> well, if it had been opened, clearly that would have been a sign that was an invitation I was meant to go in. We did yeah, shine yeah. a flashlight in, really couldn't see anything, but um, it's beautiful. Red stone, and it's kind of built into the side of the hill, and it's pretty much the only, ma that row is the only mausoleums in that entire cemetery. But I found out from Mary Roach that that's near Wesley, Wesleyan yeah, or Wesley? Wesleyan University, yeah. And apparently she used to get I won't say she got drunk. She she would imbibe, perhaps, you know, because she's not here. I don't want to like. She's like I can't tell people I got drunk. She perhaps had some beverages near that area, so she actually knew about it before I did. Which I ah, was yeah, yeah. Right. And, and never remarried. Um, so I would say questions about Mary, and I wish there was more. Believe me, I wish there yeah. was more. Mary, uh, questions about how Mooder really died, which again is not definitive and there are many people who based on the information have theories and then is Mooder gay is <laughs> another one that is the top one and you know yeah. again, very close friendship yeah. traveled with men but if I mean I wish there was a smoking gun right um, but if he had syphilis then his wife probably hoped that <laughs> yeah that she would be friends you know um, I, I also think there's pretty much no doubt he probably did have tuberculosis i mean like he's he would take these vacations to get to air and warmer yes. climates and stuff they also mentioned he had gout i think he had so i think he probably had, had a lot of he they mentioned did, kristen didn't they mention something along the lines that he was kind of frail of health yeah he did a yeah. lot he was ill from his childhood on and then then the doctors in the south at that time you know were had very dramatic uh treatments he was an orphan ward so they weren't really invested in keeping him alive, you know, as much as maybe biological children. So a lot, you know, he went through a lot, which, you know, I believe inspired him to become a doctor. Yeah, that brings me, one of Susan's latter, she made one final question, which I, I uh, well, it's not the final question. Her last question had to do with um, about Mooder seeming like such a very dear and compassionate man. And, you know, Sometimes I wonder, is, is it that early hardship? Is it illness? Is that frailty that sort of makes him this very compassionate person? And she asked, you know, if you've researched other people and lived in their headspace, how did he compare for you? Did he, does he really seem like he comes across in that way? Uh, I, you know, to me, you know, I've written, uh, I mean, you know, I'm in the process of researching and writing another book that's set in a uh, pre-Civil War Philadelphia, yeah. written a history of the poetry slam movement in New York City in the 90s and early aughts, and I have Mooder. Those are my three big uh, nonfiction projects. And I would say the thread that connects them all, I realized, is I'm attracted to people for whom no one has an expectation for, and populations of people who are just sort right. of under-recognized and who tell themselves and forge their own path. I deserve to be there. I deserve this. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be who I want to be and you're going to listen. And that is the thread that connects all of the stories. And so I think that's what I was most attracted to with Mooder is that nobody told him you should be a doctor. No one told him you should do anything. It was sort of like grow up so you can, you know, move off the plantation that I have accepted you on. Um, 
And he not only said, I'm going to make a life, but I'm going to be, you know, a figure. I'm going to be a movement. I'm going to change things. Uh, and no one expected that or, or mm -hmm. set a path. And he forged it himself. So right. in terms of, terms of compassion, I think that that was something that he was such a wonderful weaving of the work he did. His ambition is what drew me to him. But at the end of the story, his compassion is what made me really want to write the story because it's not just a driven singular genius. Sure. It's somebody who said, I'm willing to let that go. If it means saving more lives at the end of his life, yeah. which is not a choice. A lot of our singular <laughs> white men of renowned uh, are doing at the moment. <laughs> Well, you know, can we just spare a moment to say in terms of like, yes, I also I absolutely think that there's ample evidence to show that he was thinking of his patients first, let's, which yeah. let's say not always the case. Right. Yes. And oh. right. So he I think, you know, we can talk about anesthesia and his you know, he he was he actually he didn't write a lot, but like he was he took detailed notes of how many times he used anesthesia in his clinic and reported that were no adverse side effects. Meanwhile, you've got and. and talking about like the just complete opposite of compassion. You had people like Miggs, you had people like Lighty and like, you know, some of these other people that, you know, I mean, my God, the, the very proud to write about their lack of compassion, oh, very God. proud to write about the fact that, you know, women deserve to be in pain because of the sins of Eve, you know? Right. So, I mean, while, while Mooder absolutely set the bar for compassion, we have to say how low. Right. Yeah. Um, the and other physicians went. Hero, uh, is it? I'm I'm not sure if I pronounce it. Is it Dupuytren, uh, du the French surgeon? Yeah, I don't do French. I do Spanish. Oh so no! You're like, why didn't you do the audio book? You're a performer. these names. But anyway, no. this hero? He was he invent. You know, was this big inventor of plastic surgery, uh, surgical radical in uh, Paris. And he used to bring the patients he was working in through their nostrils. He would hook them in their nostrils and pull them in like that and then force them onto the ground as he discussed them. So that is the man that he looked up to right. and said, this is the work I want to do. But he did not. <laughs> you know, so that, was how the, that was how the greatest plastic surgeon of his time treated his patients. And then you look at Mütter, who spent days massaging his patient's skin and desensitizing them to instruments so that when they went into surgery, they knew what was going to happen. And they, they had uh, as much promise as possible not to vomit or have pain. You know, that's, no one was doing anything like that at that time period. It's radical, let right. alone when you get into anesthesia and the society was rejecting it. <laughs> okay, you know, but, it was like, no, 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 this is, yeah. this is the future. Yeah. Um, and, so, but yeah. the, but the did have a museum. So that that yes. makes one thing that he kind of got from. Oh yes, that's I'm true. Gonna, I'm gonna sneak. I'm gonna sneak in here. We have so many questions, you guys. I'm gonna lose track of them. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta back up in here. Um, I will say this. Um, Leanna had pointed out it's a good thing that we, you know, we're doing well when we have so many questions out of the gate and so much to talk about. She's also hoping that we'll get around to talking about the the kids book, and we will. Yes. Oh, that's not, that's not this. I'm not Christmas time. No, no, no. <laughs> It actually follows our event. So we, the illustrator, um, he, he, he goes on our Facebook page and things. And so it was kind of nice. He also okay. illustrated the Nancy, Nancy series, which is kind of fun. Um, uh, and it's, it's really, um, we, we, we did create a cocktail. Someone just down here, uh, Davey, maybe you can find it really quickly. Someone said Brandy's cocktail doesn't look like mine. You're right. 
Brandy spent uh, a week driving through northern Ontario to help a friend go visit some ill relatives, and she decided what she really needed this evening was whiskey. <laughs> um, we do have a cocktail, and uh, I see a couple people saying, uh, you know, there's just checking out, making sure that we're in good shape. I basically, um, we basically created a cocktail that's blue in color, and uh, it's a it's a lot of fun. And we did put the uh, the cocktail recipe up uh, in advance, and I meant to send it to both of you, and I don't think I did. So perhaps somebody can can help us out and clue us in. Um, if you have drink alcohol, so weirdly enough, I'm a sober teen. Guess <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm allergic to alcohol. I have an alcohol intolerance. What? I'm part Asian, and I get that flush. You know, I get that. So we make mocktails for each drink too, because we recognize that it's not everybody's thing. And it's blueberry esque. Um, but uh, then, some you guys started talking about the umlaut. Um, they said, uh, "Is is it the is it? Why did he add it to his name?" There's an ice cream brand that did that, and it made it better. Maybe the umlaut has flavor. What was the name of that ice cream? Hard about it. The 90s, right? Frozen. Yes. Frozen. Yes. That's what it does. It adds flavor. I think Mooder, so the, you know, medicine in that time period uh, was a lot of who you knew. Um, and if you imagine how private a medical history could be, you would right. want somebody who's got a kind of a mutual self-destruction. So a lot of the doctors that treated sort of the wealthy and the elite were from wealthy and elite families. Um, and Mooder, you know, I think in part chose surgery because it was the one field in medicine where it, where you just wanted it done quick. If someone had to saw your leg off, you kind of didn't care if you played tennis with your dad. You want that to happen as quickly as possible and survive, which is not, you know, always the case. So Mooter took a field in which you could rise up based on your skill. And I think in order to both stand out a little and to showcase his European background, he decided to change to add the umlaut, um, and that you. began appearing in correspondence around the same time that he started his first practice in Philadelphia. Well, so change the pronunciation. We don't know how he pronounced his name. Right. So, <laughs> the Museum, depending on whose voicemail, some people say this is the Mutter Museum, and some people say that this is the Mutter Museum. There is no definitive answer of how he pronounced it. I don't. We like to say we like to say Mutter, Mutter, Mutra. It's all good. Just come and visit us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Germans give me a hard time on the YouTubes. They're like, you're not pronouncing never, it right. I've never been hooked on phonics. It's okay. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I want to just point out, so we have some, some uh, so our club is quite large and it comes from all over the place. We have some folks that we, Kristen's checking in from Seattle. Hey, fellow Kristen. From Blackpool, UK, right at the moment. Um, and uh, my, from Germany is going to want to weigh in on the pronunciation. Weigh in on the <laughs> says hello. And we've got Mike Breen here who says a squid who wasn't that frightened is his new favorite phrase of the night so far. Um, and R. Gibson has a question here. She says, hello, everyone. Kristen, I taught your book in my course, Blood, Bones, and Burials in 2018, and my students loved it. Not a question, but a comment. And uh, I just wanted to pass that on. Um, I a love the alliteration of that class. Thank you. And I will say this, um, I am, I am uh, you know, uh, often asked to lecture at medical uh, colleges and it's because they, you know, we, the, because of the fierceness of, of medical education, you tend to start with science undergrad majors back right. before you had humanities. 
And if you look at the pop culture of today and the doctors of that are on TV, House was like a major doctor when kids decided to be doctor. And he's kind of a mean dude who has, does not have a lot of compassion, but he gets the right answer. And that's how you're a good doctor. Well, as it turns out, that is not actually a great practice um, no. to be callous and harsh with patients from whom you need honesty um, and vulnerability to really get your answers, uh, you know, your questions answered correctly and give them a proper diagnosis. So um, med medical schools will bring me in to talk and teach about compassion and how that is an important tool, not just the textbooks and the surgery surgeries yeah. and those rounds, but knowing that having a human connection, seeing your patient as a human, your patient seeing you as a human is an important way to be a good doctor. And so I'm really happy that that door is open and I'm grateful for you uh, for having taught my book. Uh, and if there's any, you know, medical schools, I'm uh, available for Zoom anytime uh, because I love, I love doing that. And, and it's made me a better patient. You know, it's made me be yeah. like, I should be honest yeah. and forthright so that my doctor can meet me there. I think there's yeah. a great, a great thing to tell you, like a little update to that is Thomas Jefferson University, which was, of course, where uh, Dr. Mutter uh, taught there. They have a whole program now where they take uh, college majors like people who have graduated from college in the humanities, in the social sciences, and they take them through the necessary uh, coursework. Uh, like just like for a year or two, just to give them the chemistry and the org and the things like that and like really work with them to then matriculate on to Jefferson for medical school because they realized, and, and this is no offense to the, the hard science majors and stuff that go on to medical school, but they realize when it comes to compassion and knowing how to people and, and all that, you're, you're, it's, all, it's just as good to, or if to take somebody with a grounding in humanities and social sciences and teach them the necessary kind of, you know, n coursework in order to move on to medical school than it is to take the students that are the hard science pre-med, you know, ride or die into medical school and then teach them how to be compassionate. It right. can be done both ways. And I think, you know, so no, obviously no disrespect to the hard science majors that go on to, to do med school, but right. I think now to know that there is an option. So if there's any young people out there who thought, hey, I can't go to med school because I wasn't a chemistry major for undergrad, that's not the case. Yeah. So, not only is it not the case. Um, Cape Western Reserve University, one of the things that they discussed at some length was that um, in terms of applying to, grad, uh, to medical school, one of the things that made people stand out were majors that weren't bio and chem. And interestingly enough, the major from Case Western Reserve University that did the best in placement in medical school was religion and theology because it was just an outlier. People just weren't expecting it. And so, yeah, absolutely. The humanities are huge. A um, couple other people just popping in here. Uh, Jay Dubin one says, uh, I visited the Mütter Museum many, many times, starting in junior high school and living in Elkins Park. I became friends with the original creator, uh, maybe Gretchen. Gretchen. Gretchen, yeah, that was, that's been ages and Gretchen ages. Gordon, yeah. Gretchen Gordon, amazing. I, I, I aspire for her gray shag. She yeah. was... If you do not know Gretchen Warden, you can look her up on YouTube. Uh, she's got some great interviews, but she, and she did not have a medical uh, background. She, she had her bachelor's in anthropology from yes. Temple. That's it. Yes. And, she yes. That place, and, yeah. and before Gretchen, who I talk about a lot in my acknowledgments, 
uh, the museum was largely, you know, invisible. You know, it was open to medical uh, students, yeah. maybe some art students who had heard about it. Mm-hmm. But the idea of the general public being invited into the museum was really unheard of before Gretchen. And I, my experience as an elementary school student, rite of passage for any Philadelphian, uh, to be dragged to this museum, and all of your siblings, I have two older siblings, they were like, wait till you get to this museum. There's horns coming out of head. There's a lady made of soap. There's weird <laughs> genitals in jars. And you're like, ah, 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 ah. you know, you're building up, building up. Right, right. We would just excite all of the peculiars, frankly. Um, right. And that is the gift like- of Gretchen. And what I have grown to truly mm. respect is that you've got, you know, children, we always ask children, be curious, ask questions, be curious, ask questions, except when it comes to medical stuff, right? If they see a person walking in with an amputation at the elbow and the kid goes, hey, where's that guy's arm? It's like, no, like, hey, no, you know, like, why does that person only have one eye? Like, ah, you know, and they're shamed very early. And again, some of that is you don't want to make the person uncomfortable or and I get that. The Mütter Museum, however, takes everything a child would be told not to look at, right? Do not comment. Do not look. Just keep walking down the grocery aisle and ignore that person and says, look closely. Stand as long as you want. Mm-hmm. Stare. Ask questions. Be curious. And on a, a huge spectrum. And I think, you know, for so many students of science, they think science is memorizing facts. Uh, that progress is a march up a hill and every innovation lands. And the Mütter Museum expresses how wild and messy and incomplete and still growing and fascinating. And it makes kids ask questions instead of being told facts. And that's what I, I, you know, I have the biggest respect for the Mütter Museum for inspiring so much of that. And I do want to add one last thing about the Mütter Museum. The last time I was able to visit was pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few months, maybe six months before the pandemic happened. Do you want to guess what their main exhibit was? Do you want to say, Anna? Spit spreads death. <laughs> it was an entire exhibition about the pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic in Philadelphia, and included a march through Philadelphia with lit candles to represent every person who died. Now, can you imagine how many lives in Philadelphia this exhibit saved? Because when the pandemic hit, they were like, I know about this. I know how to handle it. I know how to respect it. Like, I just, I was like texting Anna every, you know, month being like, I, can you believe it? Like you, this museum has protected the city that I love so much just by being itself. It's you an know, On one hand, it was, it was interesting because and I should say that the month after we did that one, the, the gallery right after that, right before you hit the gift store, was called Going Viral. And it was all about how we used to think we got infected, how we used to think we got sick. So we took people from the humoral theory through the miasma theory onto the germ theory and then exited. You lift up a rat. You'd lift up a rat and like yeah. horrible smells. The smells. The miasma. We had to demonstrate the miasma, you know. And here we are, you know, and... and you know, so then, you know, Caitlin Doty and I did a, in October of 2019, we did an in conversation, just the two of us sitting in the library talking about the 1918 flu pandemic. And we, we literally asked each other, like she asked, I asked her from a mortuary standpoint, I'm like, have you ever had to deal with um, something like similar to this where bodies are piled up and you have no place to put them? And she's like, never. And she asked me like, you know, and, and I said, are you, are we ready for not if I kind of said, it's not a matter of if, but when, 
uh, which was like, huh, it's not new. Tens of thousands of public health workers have been saying that for years, but I had right. said it on the video. And and then she and you know, and she's like, We're not ready. And here's all the reasons why we're not ready. And here's what's gonna happen, right? This is what you're gonna see. And then she asked me, Are we ready from a from a public health standpoint? And I was like, No, we are not. And, <laughs> and here's what's going to happen. Yeah. And this is not you know, me saying that. What I think is, is quite yeah. It's quite interesting. Is I I, I feel like um, we've said, we've said this on the show before, and and the peculiars know this from many of the other things that we've read. Um, history is how we learn things, and it, you know we 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 ignore history at our peril. Um, I, Kristen Meg says, "How how much do we hate me?" <laughs> oh, he's the worst. So yeah, we we people know people know. Lexi Hoffer, by the way, just got here. Lexi's a regular, um, so it's nice to see you. And I just want to point out, um, Rebecca Gibson. She was actually on our show before and what I what I enjoyed is a couple of you noticed it was her you're like wait is that corset Rebecca yes it is that's corset Rebecca who's been on our show before uh corseted skeleton was her book and so she's here with us tonight uh, I, I do want to say about Migs uh that right after so the book came out in 2014 and it made the New York Times bestseller list I couldn't believe it for like three months it was wild and then right after I got off a tour I had an abnormal pap smear and I was like the ghost of it's like, you mess with me, I'm going right into you. I was like, please spare me, Migs. You know, I know the funny thing is I, I, I am not going to say anything ill about a doctor named Migs because yes. um, in my OBGYN practice, there is a Dr. Migs. She she is not my personal doctor, but she is a doctor in the pride. There has been a Dr. Migs in Philadelphia since the dawn city. So it's like, it's a, it's a, the medical legacies, you know, like, right? a, there always has to be one. Is it sort of like the Ravens in the tower of London? Which was our first if there's ever not a Dr. Miggs in Philadelphia, we're going to we'll fall. Collapse. Fall. <laughs> I, I, I believe that's probably true. Mike, <laughs> the Mooters corseted skeleton was part of your research, which is fantastic. Um, I want to I tell her that I did an addendum to my children's book. And in the, in the additional reading, I, I basically say, and we're, we now think that our corseted skeleton might not actually be the reason the why that the the rib cages that way might not be due to corseting, and it was because uh, we did the updated research. So thank you. Research is very important. It's it's huge. Um, a couple other people just popping in to let you know where they are. Um, oh, and Atlanta. Yeah, Breen says hello from Connecticut. There's some excellent cemeteries here, um, and of course, uh, also where Mooter is buried. A couple of people, uh, Cambridge, UK. Chloe is here. There. Um, I also uh, mentioned that we have um, we and we talked about this again. I this is not something I want this show to be about, but um, it has been a hard week, and some of our folks are also in Texas, uh, like Sky. And I just want to say. Um, virtual hugs to all of you. And I, I, I'm really glad that we can have situations like this and talks like this where we share science and history and knowledge and care for each other and humanity. And maybe someday that will actually spread to things like, I don't know, Congress. Right. Um, now, people should follow the science on yeah, all, of, science. all of this stuff. And the answers yeah. will be much easier. But yeah. I, well, I live in Texas and so it's, it's mm -hmm. very hard. So thank you for bringing that up. Uh, Susan would like to know the other Susan. We have many Susans here, actually. Um, so, second Susan would like to know. Says, "I'm curious to know if it's awkward or emotionally conflicting being around the skeleton um, of, of Carol, since she seems to have had been so involved with the staff of the museum. Like, is it does it make a difference or not?" You know, she would be one of the few that I wouldn't be awkward about because there's no question 
in anybody's mind that this is exactly where she wants to be. So she is one of the few uh, skeletons and, and one of the few, you know, specimens that I do, I, I can say unequivocally, like we did, we done right by Carol. You know, mm -hmm. this is, we, we did exactly what she wanted up, up to and including her jewelry. I think the one thing she might've wanted was to, actually be wearing the jewelry and we all agreed that that was not good for her skeleton so we put it put them in the side we had looked carol and i had talked it out she's okay with it but i have to change i change up her jewelry because she has 167 pieces of jewelry and they they get switched out um on 420 which is her birthday 420 is her birthday um and i may or may not maybe temporarily put a butter a butterscotch crimpet in her case <laughs> kind of get a, a, a whiff of it because that was her favorite tasty cake. So that right. was not in her stipulations. We just know that she liked that. And I think you know when about a year, less than a year after she passed, you know we we brought her um, her friends in from the Inglis house, and and it was such a wonderful uh, experience because they had known decades longer than I did where where she wanted to be, and so mm -hmm. they all felt like they got this closure, and they're like, okay, you did it. This is. This is where she wanted to be and we're happy and she's at, and she's at peace. And I just kind of love that. And so I, I love telling her story because it's, it's just, it's a feel, it's a feel good story, you know, like, and it's very rare that we'd be able to say we did it and we got exactly where, where she wanted to be. Well, and that's a humanities uh, sort of focus too. Um, Anthro girl says, you know, Hey, maybe some of the humanities and social science won't think that black people and women don't feel pain, which oh, yeah. is a real thing. Oh, and the yeah. girl's like, "Oh, girl." <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. What well, you know? Yeah. What it's, it's. We recently had an exhibit up called "Designing Motherhood," and in it, um, we made a, a conscientious decision uh, to change. It, one of the things we're trying to they're trying to change the name of the Sims speculum to the Lucy speculum mm, nice. and, and so we in yeah. the when we had yeah. the exhibition we called it the lucy um so you know you we can affect slight changes like that and they hopefully can take hold because a lot of people come and see so we try to lead by example uh briefly um our audience might not know who sims is so uh, we're talking oh. about jay marion sims here yes. and uh he just really really quick update for those of you who who aren't sure he he perfected a fistula surgery by buying slave women and forcing them to undergo surgeries, and then we named things after him. So that's why that's why the, the only doctor in Central Park, or was. And you know, yeah. uh, he did move, but the thing is, is he moved from the South to, I believe, Philadelphia, yeah. and so he, he did not have, and he did yeah. not have a supply um, of enslaved individuals used Irish because. You know, mm -hmm. at that point, the, the people of Irish descent were considered less, you know, and the same thing. Oh, they don't feel pain as much. And so, yeah, it's just a history of, of that kind of behavior. And it's it's challenging for me as a curator, because on one hand, you, you do need to acknowledge factually that these individuals did these surgeries, which to, to survive to this day, that they, yes, they have. Uh, you know, made the lives, saved lives of, of countless women, improved the quality of life of countless women. It's there's a way to be able to communicate both sides of the equation because right, sometimes right. they feel like if you're only going to talk about the, the gloriousness of this physician, you're leaving out a huge thing. But the yeah. other side thing, you you if you just portray them as this villain without this contextual information of why and how, then you're leaving out that. So you know the, there's there's a I, I often feel a little it's difficult because you have to tread this fine line. I, I feel like I do have to be scientifically and historically accurate 
about how the tools used and things like that, but you also have to contextualize it. And right. so it often happens is I just end up pissing off two different demographics. Then you know you've done it right, Anna. That's that's exactly how we know we, when we're all happy. So leaders <laughs> <laughs> angry. We we're we're here with you. I Kristen says I was wondering if the Ernie Klein mentioned in the acknowledgments was the and from your bookshelf from Kristen's bookshelf she's <laughs> yeah. And I was showed Davy this. This is uh uh the DeLoreans. Ernie's two DeLoreans are in oh, the background. Cool. So it is Ernie Klein is uh, my husband. Uh, yeah, I'm back to the back of Ready Player One and uh, Armada and Ready Player Two and uh, and so uh, yeah, we're uh, we're I'm a nonfiction writer. He's a fiction writer. We're a mixed marriage, but we make it work. <laughs> I'm married. You have to collaborate yeah. on some sort of hybrid, Kristen. <laughs> well, it's so. I mean, like as you can imagine, you know, we're going through stuff. You know, he's a dystopian novelist, and he's always like, oh God. You know, like this is the work. I'm just imagining us spinning out, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, we've been worse. We've been there's been, you know, there's been worse times. And he's always like, what happens if all the civilization falls apart? I'm like, well, I know how to do a lot of surgeries without anesthesia. <laughs> I can, yeah, I mean, I can you know, do, I, I'm not gonna say you're gonna survive, but I got the books. So if internet fails out and someone needs an amputation, you know, Luda will help me out. It just I, you know, I, I just want to say, I think we're pro people like us. In fact, all of the peculiars, I would say, I feel like I speak truth when I talk about our group. We would be on everyone's zombie apocalypse team, I think, you know, um, for all sorts of, reasons. we have all kinds of interesting skills. Um, and uh, I, just a few extra things here in the, in the teach here, uh, in the chat here, we have a couple of people saying, um, Again, love and hugs, knowing it's been a difficult week. Uh, and Anthro Girl wanted to point out that the the Carol story is is actually a really, really good one. It made her feel really good to hear how you guys are handling that. Um, and so did, Susan said the same thing here as well, that it's just, you know, a really, again, there are right ways to do things, right? There's things that we can do that are not the, the wrong way. Um, and I should mention that we we do have this amazing like living donor program. You know, we have mm -hmm. a, we have a whole bunch of people who have literally given parts of their bodies yeah. to us, and and so and by doing so, they're still alive. And and, and they give beyond. We, we call it beyond consent. It's informed and enthusiastic consent and participation. <laughs> and a good example of this is um, somebody who's become a dear friend of mine, Rob. Rob literally gave us his heart. You know, I mean, he gave us his heart and the saga behind that and the drama and the, and the, and the, it, it would be a novel, you know, I, because it, it, he had talked for years about wanting to do this. He initially wanted to give us his skeleton because he has acromegaly. And then, um, he, you know, acromegaly if it's in and of itself, super rare, right? In 3% of acromegaly cases, 3%, you have a cardiac complication that necessitates a heart transplant. So he, right. you're taking a rare condition and then he had the rarest outcome of one of the rarest conditions and unfortunately needed a heart transplant. And he immediately thought of us and, and reached out to us and said, do you, do you want my heart? And of course we're like, uh, yeah, we want your heart. Christmas, I gave Mooder my heart. Yeah, oh, that, trust me, that has, <laughs> that was bandied about. And, and of course, you know, this whole thing, and we, we spent months working on this negotiation with his team mm -hmm. in New Orleans, um, because that's where he was going to get his heart transplant. Right. And this was late 2019. And we were making all these short, first we had to convince this team, the transplant team in New Orleans, that we're not serial killers and we're not crazy. <laughs> and we, we actually have a museum. It's in, look us up. <laughs> we're not, I'm not, I mean, I am crazy, but like, I, 
I'm a professional organ. Peculiar, that's all. Exactly. And we did all of that, made all this inroads, COVID hit, and he booked out of New Orleans and all the work we did, gone. And so we had, then he landed in North Carolina. And then within, we're talking within days of him landing in North Carolina, we had to do the entire thing over again because he was in the hospital about ready to get the transplant. So it was drama, people. Uh. One of the things that I was, uh, I wish I could have included more was right after the Mütter Museum was founded, Mm -hmm. uh, they would, you know, civil war had started and people were mailing limbs and stuff and weird stuff they found on the battlefield. And the museum was getting in constant trouble with the constables because they'd be like a bloody limb and they'd be like, what is this story? And they, <laughs> they had to defend, like, we're a museum, we collect these on, you know, the, the, you know, these are medical specimens, but it was just like, mm-hmm. you need to find another way than mailing. It's just blood and gore all over this post. We, we hand, we then went, moved to like couriers on horseback. <laughs> we just cut out the whole, let's just do it. On, and, you know, at that time, right after the Civil War, the National Museum of Health and Medicine was founded and so there was a lot of communication a lot of um Mm -hmm. you know like trade back and forth without any paperwork because of course they didn't do things back then so years ago the curator at that time years ago brian is a curator there now he went came in and his he was tasked with doing the inventory and of course there was a lot of things missing so he just came to our museum he's like can i look around and see what you have i'm like yeah sure so he just walks in he could tell immediately just by looking at the mounts the way certain bones were mounted. He's like, that's ours. Or he saw some white etchings. That's ours. And I'm just kind of like, well, do you want them? What's the st- do you want them back? He's like, no, I just need to know where they are. I need to account for them. And that's it. So I'm like, okay, good. Cause we were about to have a words. <laughs> it's a throwdown. You know, in my house and take my, you know. As somebody who loves puns, this is this is a difficult episode for me because I'm all like, there's missing limbs. <laughs> I'm I'm struggling. Like in your hand, yes. Yeah, I'm struggling not to jump on every single one. Um, I just want to point out that we're still reacting to the DeLoreans and the Ready Player One stuff. Um, I just... We we had that in 1998 as slam poets. I was the New York City champ. He was the Austin champ. So when I say this was not a path that either of us thought we would end up, uh, it's a a charming tale of two slam poets made good. I I do want to just say... um, this is another favorite phrase, I think, of this evening. So the whole, like, you know, I'm pretty sure I can do surgery if the, I read a book once and I can do it. That's what the humanities is all about. Uh, heck yeah, says Stephanie Smith. <laughs> I read it in a book once in Latin. I'm pretty sure I can do it. <laughs> pretty sure I can do it, right. I'm, if I'm Galen, Galen, Let me just pop in here. We've got, uh, some people have called you the the, uh, the power couple, which is hilarious. Um, Thank you. If if called upon, uh, we could all give the old college try to a, a <laughs> flapper too. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, pretty sure the let's see. Um, yeah, basically, yeah, you're <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> this is why we choose you for our show. You are one of us. You belong. I love that. Um, my, my husband is Jewish. Have you heard of the term mishpuka? That means yeah. your, your family, your tribe, right? Your, your oh, yeah. mishpuka, your family. I, I have coined the term, your nerd shpuka. <laughs> okay. so I feel like the peculiars are part of this greater nerd shpuka. Yes. I'm down yes. with that. Don't ask me how to spell that. 
I won't because um, I'm not hooked on phonics. But I will say this. Um, that we, we've come to the we've actually slid really quickly through through the show. And so we're at the midpoint. And at our midpoint, we always pause for a musical interlude. Today's musical interlude coming from Charming Disaster, who also does our theme music and is a frequent guest on the show. And so I, I'm going to ask us to pause while everyone repopulates with questions that I have to work my way through. And uh, and without further ado, Davey, shall we get Charming? Oh, hello. Hi, we're Charming Disaster. And we are charmed to be here on the Peculiar Book Club. She has a green face and flying monkeys. She wears scarves and leather and lace. She lives in Africa on the island of Iaia. In a tower, in a chicken leg hut in Peoria. Solitary, she comes in threes. She's a member of a coven. Sometimes she's a he. When she opens the door, what do you see? When she opens the door, what do you see? When she opens the door, what do you see? When she opens the door, she rides a broomstick or a bicycle. Stunning, hideous, hesitant, confident, curious, furious, glorious, monstrous. She's our downfall. She's our deliverance. She's a higher being, surrounded by beasts. She's lurking in the forest. She lives deliciously when she opens the door. What do you see when she opens the door? What do you see when she opens the door?
Um, there was quite a lot of chatter going on uh, in here. I, it was very, very funny. Some of it was, um, uh, I think it was another one of our Susans saying they wouldn't actually perform surgery. They'll just sit in the corner and drink whiskey, to which Anthro Girl replied, sometimes whiskey is a very important part of doing surgery. Um, I agree with both. A little for the patient, a little for the doctor. You know, it really does depend. The giving and receiving is quite, quite good. Um, I got two more questions coming up. Oh, there, Susan, that was that Susan. I love all the Susans that we have. We're very rich in Susans. Susan. Um, I, uh, I, Jennifer Pierce asked a question and Leanne asked a question again, which I, I forgot, it had sort of gotten buried up there, but she was asking about, um, does, you know, so do you have to have a certain percentage of fat to make that happen or can anybody simplify? Well, I mean, we have to remember that even those who don't appear to have that much fat on them do have a, a, a good enough amount, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at the soap lady, what's really interesting is her arms are lay and arms or legs are really not that large. She only has that kind of um, that belly with the kind of paniculus or the mother's apron, which kind of makes me wonder if she was either post early postpartum or even perhaps, you know, and probably not pregnant, but like maybe very soon after. Right. Um, speaking as somebody who has, you know, had a baby and what it looks like right after, it's kind of, you know, it's not, it's not great. Um, that might be, that might have been an, uh, something. You just, we kind of all just have different ways of of um, having body fat, you know, deposited on ourselves. So I would say no, you do not have to be what you would think of as like really clinically obese to be able to have adipose formation, and it's also not a hundred percent like you know uh all through the body like evenly you know so in some of the adipocere bodies you're just going to see pockets or places where the adipocere has the formation um the soap man is a good example of that because parts of his body just are, are skeletalized because there was not that much fat so it's all this is all a taphonomy you know and it's so it's a lot of interplay between what taphonomy is is like literally the study of what happens to a body after you know that individual's dead they're in the ground or they're in the environment what happens? What's the interaction between it? So many variables. We also used to think that you had to be in like a waterlogged environment or like a really moist or wet environment, but it turns out that's not necessarily the case. They've done studies and we're, we have so much water in our bodies anyway, that the water we have in our bodies is almost is in many cases enough to start that chemical reaction. My favorite soap lady story is that it used to be at the top of the stairs at the Mütter Museum. Yes. And I came to visit one time and Anna was like, yeah, we're redoing the room. We can't have Soap Lady at the top of the stairs because people sometimes, you know, it's not uncommon for people to faint at the Mütter Museum. And if they faint, they, this is what Anna told me, they said they're gonna, they tumble down the stairs and they, they hit the cabinets. And those cabinets are 19th century antiques. And I said, I'm the people like Peter. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They're fine. They're fine. <laughs> Generally, people heal. Cabinets don't heal. This is what I'm saying. But I will say that in my time there, I'm, I like to joke that I minored in anxiety. In I majored in archaeology, minored in anxiety. Right. And I would just see... I would just see her there. I'm going, no, this is this. I've yeah. seen this movie. I know how it ends. So we got her moved. That was like, she's been, I've moved her like three times since I've been there. It's a new spot, but yeah, it's definitely, um, 
Nobody fell down the stairs while I was there. It was a few phone calls. But I, you know what, here, I have a good update about this. We, oh. one of the goods, I'm trying to be positive, you know, but one of the good things that came out of the pandemic was we turned to time ticketing. And mm -hmm. so we were able to limit how many people can come in per hour, per half hour. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know, our rates of people feeling ill or passing out plummeted. Because as always, what I always said is that I would be there when people would pass out and I would, you know, I'd be front line. Let's go get some juice. Let's get you, you know, sit. And then so many times they'll tell me, it's like, you know, I was told not to eat before I came here. And so right. we have people who don't eat and then they come to the museum. We don't have a lot of places to sit people, you know, and they're walking around. And when we, it was really crowded, we couldn't control how many people came in. The density of the living you know, would just always the living, living with all their <laughs> giving off all their carbon dioxide, it's breathing wow. all my specimens and all that BTUs of heat and raising the temperature. People really? would just start dropping, had nothing to do with the collection. And so I would say nine times out of 10, you know, nine out of 10 fainters, it was low, low blood sugar, pre existing medical condition, because, you know, we would, we have to fill out paperwork, you know, just so you know. Yeah. Stephen Colbert years ago did a shout out to us and he said, Muda Museum, great place, don't eat before you go. And I was like, no! Our PSA should be, come to the Muda Museum, have a light snack. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. A little bagel and a juice. Little juice, little crackers, then come in. You don't have to gorge yourself. I'm not saying go on out to have brunch, but have a little something in your stomach. You know, it's all yeah. That's we used to run into that at the uh, the Dittrich Museum, and it was usually like because there was a lot of college students who don't have money and time to eat, and they would disappear and fall down onto tables and things. Um, another See, question: this, this I apologize for leaving briefly. Um, something was trying to get out of my closet, and I mean skeletons live there too, but I just want to make sure it wasn't the cat, and it's fine. Uh, it, it was just a monster, so it's fine. Kristen Meston says she was very happy to read about Mooter's fireproof stipulation after hearing that most things were lost to uh, in the Hunter uh, the Hunter collection, and that led me to. It was interesting because then another comment followed it. Now I've lost it again. Uh, I think it was Sky talking about people calling him um, calling Mooter the P.T. Barnum, a P.T. Barnum figure, uh, and that that's really inappropriate because actually he was so thoughtful about the collection and about people and everything, and P.T. Barnum was not <laughs> ah. maybe that has something more to do with the fact that he was actually a good what we call psycom he was a good teacher he was a good communicator and right. i mean i think Kristen could talk more about this too but i think people think if you're if you're engaging and you're lively and you you can present well that somehow that takes away from your your gravitas as an academic and that could be farther from the truth so I don't know what your thoughts yeah, on I that. I would also say he was known as, he was called the P.T. Barnum of the surgical room because a lot, you had surgical lectures at the time. And I have a secret theory that I, you know, uh, is just my personal theory that one of the reasons that he dressed so ostentatiously, you know, he would perform in pink silk suits and he would match his suit to his horse to his carriage was to draw attention away from the deformed people uh, and disfigured people for whom he was performing surgery. Because it's very uh, scary if you are used to have being hidden away in, you know, in your family's home, no one talks about you, no one knows about you, to suddenly be thrust in a room with 
dozens of people, maybe over a hundred people who are going to watch you in a very intimate, vulnerable situation. So people have asked about Mooder's flamboyant dress and flamboyant style. And my theory mm -hmm. is he did that so that people would be whispering about, I can't, can you believe he's wearing a pink suit and taking the energy off of these vulnerable yeah. people who, who are, don't want to be stared at. He's like, I right. will be stare at. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think, yeah. you know, you mentioned a, a one of the things we should mention too is a little history lesson about colors and gender because right. we in the in the 20th and 21st century we associate whatever for whatever it's worth pink as being more feminine and blue mm -hmm. as being more masculine that was not the yeah. case in victorian no. times it correct right. it was right. switched and i mm -hmm. for one if i see a man wearing a pink shirt with a suit i love it you know and i will actually <laughs> be like oh, thank you Bring it back. Yeah. Mark, uh, so who finger guns, finger guns does, is not appearing with us today, but finger guns is one of his favorite colors to wear. It's, it's my partner uh, is, is pink. And he appeared, I, most of our skits are done in black and white. So I'm going to have to do one in color so I can prove to y'all that he wears pink a lot. Um, I, just a, another quick side kit. I have to say, everyone's really worried about your cabinets. There's several discussions going on here about like the replacement of glass and the varnish and all this other stuff. Um, some other people oh, saying, uh, number one, yeah, yeah. Number one rule: don't make me fill out paperwork. Um, and uh, Bonnie talking about that they had a similar situation happen when Body Worlds came to their museum, and I know that a lot of people got very sensitive about that one too. Oh no, I'm, you guys are typing so many questions so fast. I'm having trouble keeping up. I, I want to let everybody know that you know we we actually have a, a small army, uh, you know, of of qualified cabinet makers that we they're not employed by us we have them on the roster and you know so mm. we're always kind of updating our cases and stuff and uh so yeah they, but i will say oh boy as somebody who has seen me oh kristen has probably had to see me cursing and trying to open some of the cases i know i know every single case and every key right and i, I already know oh man are you gonna make me open that one case which is <laughs> <laughs> don't you make just, me open that please, one mr baker yeah. please work with me work with me <laughs> when well, we were doing when in the pandemic, I was embarrassed. I couldn't figure out how to turn the soap lady light on when we did this. We did we filmed this tour, oh, wow. and we had the the Einstein case and the soap lady case, and I couldn't find the light switch. I work, I'd working there like what sixteen years by that point. Couldn't find a bleeping light switch to save my life, and we just decided to put that blooper in our in the end. It's like a little Easter egg at the end of our virtual tour, and because I know people would be like. She's talking about something. It's dark in there. Why do you have the light on? Because I don't know where the light. Turns out there is no light switch. Oh, <laughs> just plug it in. Surge protector hidden behind the soap ladies. Ah, we're like a world class museum, and we got a surge. Pro I'm like, so we fix that. But I was just like, some, so, at some point, yeah. I I once looked behind the. I once looked behind a cabinet at the Dittrich Museum and the amount of wiring, like no-nos, I was like, well, I can't take any engineers in here. We got to gotta shut that back up. Well, we have arrived at the point in our show where Davey is about to quiz our guests. Mm -hmm. And I know everyone is very excited about this. I so I'm going to disappear. Central High School 255. So <laughs> you know, I'm taking this very seriously. I, 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 think, I, play, I used to play a lot of Quizzo. There you go. Was it was it the game of life? Was it the board game that got us on the pink is girls and boy is bl blue is boys? It could be. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe before that. Or some advertising. I guys. always think back to that. I mean, they established that as kids. You play the game of life, and then there you go. That's a good point. Um, all right. So the quiz. So one of the things I noticed in the book is that uh, the city of Philadelphia is a big character in the story. So is the city yeah. of Paris, but... 
And I'm going to ask you about it in a second. But first, I want to ask you about the city of Philadelphia. So the quiz today is called, Can I Have a Whiz Wit? That's the Um, name of the quiz. Sure. Really, if anybody knows, if you're in Philadelphia, if you're ordering a cheesesteak, you got to say it right. So these are all questions about the city of Philadelphia. (laughs) And the Peculiars will help you out. They're a few seconds behind us. So, and Brandy will be popping their comments on. But the first question, the city of Philadelphia has more public art than any other U.S. city with nearly 4,000 blank murals, on display. Murals, murals, statues, or sculptures. Yeah. Mural Arts Philly. Mural Arts yeah. Philly. Shout out to the Mural Arts Philly program. Yeah. I, you know, peculiar, I don't think they need your help on this one. I think they've got it <laughs> pretty much figured out. It is murals, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of statues, too. But I don't know how many we, comparatively. But we definitely are <laughs> murals. We, we have some free stamps in Cleveland. Have you seen our free stamp? That's oh our- yeah, we got a big free stamp. <laughs> we have some interesting public art in Cleveland too. I I just want to mention that uh, while they while they did not maybe have the answer to the quiz, there is a there's uh, there is a lot of discussion about. Um, <laughs> oh, the artists are the cheesecake conversation. Pats or Genos? <laughs> Let me tell you, when I visited Philadelphia with some friends, we sent two friends to Pats and two friends to Genos. We met in the middle of the street and we had a little taste test. That's how we did it. Do you know my former director of communications? I did an interview and they and somebody asked me, "Are you a Pats? Are you Genos?" And he like frantically was trying to get my attention. And he said, "Don't say it. Don't commit." no matter what you do you're gonna piss off so i was like i thought maybe i should just piss off everybody and say that you know i was raised hindu i don't eat beef and then just everybody hates me yeah all right so no there isn't a cheesesteak question on here but uh philadelphia is home to many u.s firsts including the nation's first library first hospital first medical school and first baseball stadium or bar Zoo. Peculiars, what do you think? Do you think they got it right? I, I don't think they're going to need our help. I think I might have made this one a little <laughs> too easy. Maybe, maybe my father did. Maybe it's like you it got is this born and raised Philly it, girls with showing our Philly it, pride. It yeah. is the first zoo, yes. The first yeah. bar. Yeah. Uh, first do you know what the first bar was? The what? Bar, like alcohol? Yeah. Boston? Was it Boston? Uh, it was actually in the White House Tavern in Newport, Rhode Island. Apparently, George Washington used to frequent it, it often. So All right. And baseball stadium, I believe, probably goes to Cincinnati. Um, yep, bars were ubiquitous. Uh, all right, question number three. Let's see, let's see if I can stump them. This one's a little bit harder. Philadelphia may no longer be the nation's capital, but it is still known as America's blank capital. Is it the garden capital, the food capital, or the sports capital? Oh, I like those faces. Those faces I means I'm... sports. I mean... <laughs> what do you think hey, hey gritty is my bay don't get me wrong love me some gritty my cousin no. works for the phillies but no it's, can, we, it's Kristen, what do you think? can we eliminate c i'm gonna say, i'm gonna say b i'm gonna say food because i don't see gardens hey look the hog man the hog is like but again you know we have longwood gardens too what about the fairmount park i don't know <laughs> Damn. Yeah, we do have a lot of parks, well, but that's not a garden. I must say food. I, yeah, love food. I mean, I, I like food. All right. And the answer is garden. It is the name oh! of America's garden capital. Philadelphia <laughs> Flower Show is the nation's largest oh, and the world's longest show. running horticultural oh. event. Traditionally takes place inside the Pennsylvania Convention Center each year. But it's held out for recently. Yeah. 
I just gotta say the the peculiars actually were on this one, so the, most of them guessed garden, which is which is rather funny. So many other capitals. So so the city of Philadelphia, like talk talk about it being a character in the book a little bit, and how much you had to dive into that. Uh, I mean, I think the uh, I mean, born and raised in Philly, so obviously I spoke from uh, from knowing, and I just love the city so much. I, I grew up there. I moved to New York City for 14 years, um, and uh, you know, there's something about Philly that really matches Mooder's energy. It's it, it's an important city, birthplace of American democracy. Love Ben Franklin. I met a person who didn't like Ben Franklin once, and it I couldn't. My brain couldn't make sense. I'm like not like Ben Franklin. And they were like, yeah, he was like unfaithful to his wife. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like who? Do you, do you like electricity? Do you like uh, libraries? Do you like money? Like what? Didn't Ben Franklin He's allowed to have some fun in France while creating a nation. So I, the person was like, okay. I'm like, okay. So I am a spoken like a true Philadelphian. <laughs> Get in there, like. But we were uh, a leader in many ways. We were the first state to abolish slavery. Um, we were, you know, we've we've led, um, sort of. We've always had a mix of people. We've always had immigrants made our city better. And there's something about coming in and Mooder as a poor orphan from the south with nothing but a made-up name and his own ingenuity, that Philadelphia seemed to be uniquely uh, set up to be him. And then to be the home to the Mooder Museum. I mean, Philadelphia, in the same way that we love Gritty, who's this bizarre thing that shouldn't work and yet is everything you dream of. I met met Gritty and they were like, don't give your baby to Gritty. And I was like, you have to tell me. And then I immediately wanted to give my baby a Gritty. Just so people know what we're talking about. Don't oh, know who Gritty is. <laughs> Just making gritty. sure. I don't believe it. This is how this is how Philadelphia works. You know, they, they unveiled Gritty, and everybody in Philadelphia was like, "What the hell?" And then other people from other cities like, what "Is that?" And then we, as Philadelphia, like, "Don't you talk about yeah, that?" What are you? Who are you? And now we like, ass mascot. Oh, you got a lion on skates. Gritty rules. Philadelphians, we are passionate. Yes. You know, if we love something, we love it. If we hate something, God help you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Both Mood and the person and the museum being what it is, this beloved, out. weird, <laughs> it's just so well met. You're really one two silly girls. Yeah, you, how did you not expect <laughs> the energy? All is doing the is energy like, is on another level loud. right now. We get like louder and more shrill. All right, wait, 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 wait. Okay, guys. Well, you can all in this club in ways I was not prepared for. Um, you can be our mascots. You want to be our? We need some mask. All right, this is. I know. I'm getting the vapors. Thank you. Like, orange. <laughs> like, you're making my nose red. I've got like a Rudolph thing. This is this is going to be a very interesting um, uh, show for people to watch who haven't seen it before. Um, I need to have a announcement to make before we leave for the end of the show. Wait, wait, wait. We, we do have we do have that special surprise, Kristen, that we promised oh, them if they oh, stuck around to the end. 
right. Because right. the bookshelf game is something that's talked Ooh. about a lot, right? A lot of our authors come on, they have very strong bookshelf game. You can yes. see my junior bookshelf back here. I'm working up to what Brandy's got. But Kristen, you have a special bookshelf behind you. Yeah, so this is this is the level of this is not my bookshelf. I have an office and I have a, a separate uh, sort of uh, beautiful room, is what our kids call it, which I've lined with bookshelves. This is my husband's, and it is actually uh, Ernie Klein wrote uh, Ready Player One, Ready Player Two, and Armada, and it is actually a fake secret door to is arcade. does he have, Kristen? I need to know. What game does he have? Galaga. Uh, let's see, Galaga. Galaga. Oh, we're going for a full tour. Let's see. He has. If any of you have read Ready Player One, an original Black Tiger, which is the game featured. Uh, he has Tailgunner 2, which is actually the game featured in Armada. Nice. He has Ben Battlezone, also featured in Armada. And then the walls are just his uh, movie and oh, yeah. uh, book memorabilia. Are you going to invite me to your house so we can like play video games? <laughs> if I could get anyone to come to Texas right now, sure. But yeah, I would well. say, uh, wait oh. for me to come to you in Bring Philadelphia, in. greatest city in the country. <laughs> I'm That's you. true. I, I have neither DeLorean nor video game. Mine is no off to the side. If you want to see it, I can try to see if I can. Mine has. Let me see. I do not have games or yeah. I have. I do have a karaoke bar in my basement and a monster oh, see, in my closet. A stall. That is what I'm missing. My then, just a random stall and a TARDIS. There's a TARDIS up there. Yes. And a stall. So yeah, I've got mine is more traditional and a lot and of. I will say as a total non-ambiguous plug that if you love quirky things come visit the Mooder Museum and it's incredible gift shop best of Philly gift shop winner multiple years you can also visit it online there you can find signed copies of Anna Doty's amazing Mooder Museum children's book Absolutely. and you can get signed copies of my book uh Dr. Mooder's Marvels I'm going to sign book plates and send them out um, so please visit the bookstore, um, and the gift store. You can get, uh, infinity scarves with skulls on it, lip balm with skulls on it, uh, you, uh magnets that will frighten your mother-in-law, like just <laughs> this is wonder. No, I get, love it. Uh, get your Hanukkah gifts early. And Great, we really don't have to put a, a little disclaimer, you know, we did not pay Kristen. She is not paid in Dorothy. I think you should just pay her. I think she should be a paid in Dorothy. But I, I believe when I say I have benefited from the right. Motor Museum. I do not <laughs> need anything more from y'all. <laughs> I did not tell her to do this, but she made a good segue because I have begin I have begun to to pick names, to draw names for winners again. We used to do the winners with the cocktail naming game. And we had to quit doing that because the same three people kept naming the cocktail. Um, which is awesome because they're awesome names, but but honestly, we've decided to start drawing names out of the hat. And those that we draw out of the hat will be getting a mystery gift from the Mooder Museum. So it's interesting that she's just did that lovely segue for us, I just want to say. Um, so our winners today, uh, and a bit, pay attention to your screen name because that's what we actually pick them from. So please send me an email with your real name and your address after I give you your screen name. But uh, J Dubin one, J-D-U-B-I-N one, you're one of our winners, C-L. L is one of our winners. And Anthro Girl, Anthro Girl, I know who you are, is Woo! one of our winners. 
so so y'all have won some stuff. You have to email me with your uh, with your address, mm. and I will be sending you a mystery gift from the Mutter Museum. And so syphilis uh, is coming back, y'all. There's a lot of syphilis going around the college kids. So get your you plushy know, syphilis in advance. <laughs> so when your child says, "Mom, Dad, I have syphilis," you can say, "We knew." And just give yeah. them the fleshy syphilis. You know what? It's interesting. I did a lot of most of my study was on congenital syphilis for a good a good point point of my time. And uh, I have to say that um, the whole th there's good words, right? Congenital syphilis, tertiary syphilis. But the problem is, we had a whole book of like syphilitic genitalia. And frankly, after you've seen a lot of those, like you're really hard to shock. And so I lost all sense of context, basically, for like upsetting things because I'd be like, well, it's not a syphilitic penis, so it's yeah. not that. Um, so it's you know, like, it's like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because like you're mentioning college kids and stuff, but I think the studies have seen, shown that right now the demographic that is seeing the biggest explosion in syphilis, nursing homes over fifty-five. Oh, yeah. So all, to all of my wonderful, you know, fifty-five plus people out there, you know, just because you can't get pregnant doesn't mean you can't you still got to wrap that okay yeah. because you, you can still get syphilis you might not be able to get catch a baby but you can still catch it i can't catch a baby they're very slippery davy we've had several people ask about the davy baby i am and good at catching babies i have a brand new baby at home and a, a hand on the head and a hand on the butt and you've you've got it you've got it that's you the baby. Yeah. that's the key to it everybody's been asking about the davy baby and and it's enormous amount of hair um davy's baby big. has lots of hair he's a big baby gotta wrap that that also needs to go we've t-shirted we've come up with so many t-shirt slogans this is the most t-shirtable of yeah. of our of our shows ever okay i have some announcements i have some announcements i'm gonna forget to do them announcement number one i was supposed to do this show from the buckland witchcraft museum but because i spent a week driving through northern ontario with my friend i forgot what day slash week slash month slash year it was and I didn't go and so I feel really terrible so I'm gonna like bring them whiskey as a as an apology but y'all need to know about the Buckland Witchcraft Museum it used to be in Brooklyn and it is now in Brooklyn because Brooklyn is also a, a, a city suburb of Cleveland not the same Brooklyn um but in some ways it hasn't moved around very much uh but it's a really great place and I hope to do a show there in the future uh Charming Disaster played a set there and put it on one of their uh on their channels and so I I'm, I'm deeply sorry that I'm not actually physically at their location at this moment some other announcements that you need to catch I sent out uh a lot of newsletters this week one to the VIPs uh who are subscribers and that's old subscribers and new subscribers so just at the moment, both sets are overlapping. Um, if you are not subscribing yet, but you want to, you have till June 1st. And uh, time is ticking down. I hope you will, because, because the VIP newsletters are fun. And I say weird and interesting things. And sometimes you get pictures of lizards. And I feel like that's a good reason. Um, the regular newsletter also went out. And in that regular newsletter, I mentioned that I will soon be uh, sending out a call to the hive mind of peculiars, because we're looking for uh, new and interesting ways that you guys can actually take what you have as your special gifts, talents, and weird shit, and, and make it part of what we do. And so I'm really excited to you'll, just keep, keep an eye. It'll be on all the platforms. You won't actually functionally be able to miss it unless you're trying. Um, <laughs> I have, I have, uh, we, we have 50 subscribers presently for season three, and I still have boxes to send out and I am getting more swag because you guys, I don't know, Anna, Kristen, we send so much swag. We, it's so much swag. There's 
teacups and socks and shirts and long sleeve things and books and and all have squids on them and it's great. Um, but even I more cephalopods. Oh, cephalopods are great. Even more exciting. Even more exciting. I can't wait to tell you guys this. It's in the newsletter. It will be up on Facebook. We have decided for season three to do concert style T-shirts with a brand new design on the front and on the back, all the names of all the authors and people that are taking part in the oh, show. And this will be what we're doing going forward. But if you sign up as your pre-order, you also get to tell us what kind of design you think we should do. So we have some choices. There's cephalopodness, which we know is good. There's like <laughs> also good, uh, you know, like death and murder and stuff. We got two very murdery ones coming up. Our last two shows of this season are like uh, true crime kind of things. <laughs> you know, not in a weird sexual way. Everybody loves tentacles, though sometimes in a sexual way, I'm, I I hear. Can, but, can, the ten, can the tentacles be doing the murder? And then you can conflate? Like, you know, what about all the tentacles, hold, each one holding a, a, a weapon? That is actually, so believe it or not, Anna has picked the... So the third thing you can vote for is a mishmash of these things. So um, <laughs> interestingly enough. So anyway, go, go online. Um, uh, I've sent it in the newsletter. I've sent it up on Facebook. Fill it out. I need to get the pre-orders so that I know... She got so excited, she left. <laughs> No, I had, to, I had to close my door because my, my son's back in Wisconsin. He's just going to come oh, there. Okay. <laughs> um, there's so many people. People are talking about the murder. Yes, I know. I do like murder. Brandy's <laughs> face about tentacles doing murder. I got really excited, okay? Um, lots of murder. Chloe says she loves uh, murder t-shirts. Tour t-shirts. Murder t-shirts. Whatever. Murder t-shirts. Um, yeah, that's a thing. Murder tour. Yeah. Murder tour. Murder tour. Murder Mordor murder with tentacles. So um, anyway, that's coming up. And there's a lot more in the in the newsletter. So I hope you guys get it. I cannot believe I laughed so hard my nose turned red, which I didn't even realize was a thing. Um, that's our, that's I, our new, like, Kristen, that's our new bar. Like, if we ever do things together, okay, that's the goal. Got to make the face yeah. nose turn red. But not my whole face, just my nose, apparently, which is fascinating. Next, um, then have us on again. We'll make your whole face red. You've got to raise the bar now. It's like, you know. It make me, and then my hat will like pop off at the end, and it'll be yeah. Um, it has been marvelous having you on. I I I don't even know what my what's happening. I'm <laughs> so great. Yes, I I do love the t-shirts. They've come they've come a long way. I I was I personally tested them because we tried three different brands, and I was like scratchy, switchy. I don't like it. <laughs> um, blame it on the whiskey. I only had one. You guys know how much whiskey it would actually take for me to get two off the mark on here. Um, it could be why your face I, turned red, though. That could be. No, that's gin. I have problems no. with gin with the nose. It's most hilarious, peculiar book club I found ever. out that some gins have almonds in them. I'm allergic to almonds, and I never thought to think that gin has nuts in it. That's mm. peculiar. Bombay Sapphire. Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking almonds. <laughs> this is our PSA now. So those, those who are not allergies perhaps might want to avoid the Bombay Sapphire. Watch the gin. That's nuts, says I, and I completely, I completely agree. I'm pretty sure there's no nuts in my whiskey, though. Then again, some of them. Are, if you have a bad nut allergy, you have to be careful. If you're doing a Kentucky bourbon or something, if it's aged in a pecan barrel. Oh. I have friends who have bad nut allergies, and they told me this, and they're like, "How do you not know this?" I'm like. All I know is that Amanda Johnson has a double IPA made in gin barrels and it's good. <laughs> so anyway, this was, this is, I feel like I've had a whole workout this evening. My God. 
um, another mental workout, keeping keeping us in line. You're, you really are like the ringmaster trying to keep these two crazy Philadelphia <laughs> Philadelphia girls on, on top of it. <laughs> Watching you all. All right. This was fantastic. Thank you both. Yes, I, I want to just back back what Kristen says here. Thank you both for being awesome, amazing, fun. As I always do, and you guys can jump in and say say this with me in your own homes. I'm hoping that somehow I will hear it coming through the ether. Thank you for joining us at a place where if you're weird, your family. You got the blue bottle blue. Oh.